the first thing I wanted to ask you about that I've been interested in since I found out about you is just how young you are. Uh, which is what is the question? It's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, there's a question that's going to come from it, but just sure. to state it as that, because I think it's like, um, like just for example, like the first time that I kind of found you as a writer, I think was through in the uh, Inside the Castle Amphetamine Sulfate book. Like I didn't even see you on Twitter yet. Like I just was figuring out different presses that were interesting, and I latched onto them pretty early on, and I saw that you. And like right in the bio for it, for your thing, it says, um, this is Josiah's like first book. And I think you were 17 when you published that, yeah. one, right? Which okay, is so like, it clearly says it. So it like make, like it, there's like an editorial choice to like, I'm curious, like yeah. whose choice was it to say that, you know? Because there, they're, you know, you wouldn't say that unless it had some sort of, really it's unless you're really old or really young. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, sure. like there's no sure. real, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess you can kind of just riff off of that, but I have a few thoughts on it, but I'm just curious on your thoughts there. Um, one of the reasons that I think amphetamine sulfate publicized it like that, um, and I'll answer it that way first, uh, yeah. and forgive me, Philip Best, for spilling the tips of the tray, but I think one <laughs> of the reasons that amphetamine sulfate publicized it like that is that um, amphetamine sulfate are playing with a really kind of self-conscious shocking kind of press value and that's not to say that that's all the press does um philip is really engaged i think in academia and um the form that ideas take but i think that um amphetamine sulfate as a press i mean for one thing they're called amphetamine sulfate right um yeah. there's, a, there's a certain kind of um image that is being cultivated there and right. i think there's an interesting kind of interplay where the image is shocking and then the texts might be something else i don't know that's just me partially as an observer and a reader of their texts as well um yeah in terms of why we attached it to that book um i mean inside the castle the book not the publisher that's one of the other confusing things um, yeah that's yeah, another my, thing i wanted to get into but... yeah Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, my book, Inside the Castle, is very much about being a teenager and growing up in particular ways, whether those are savory or unsavory is kind of beside the point. Um, but it's very much like a coming of age poetry collection. And so there's a materially like that my age, I feel like materially impacts that text. And to me, I mean, I'm still young. I'm I turned 21 in March. But um, to me, you're born in 2000, now, right? Yeah. Okay. Isn't okay. That <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but it really reads like a young person book to me. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I think actually a lot of the things, everything that I have published or have on the road to publication at the moment reads like a young person thing. Yeah. I'm going to take a break from writing for a bit actually um, this year, but that's a different story do you sense that what you want to write about is changing as you are getting, you know, you're, you're going through just life changes at a rapid pace in your early twenties. Yeah. Like anybody yeah. knows this and like your sense of self and identity, I think is so rapidly in flux, especially in, in that age, like mm. it was for me. Mm. And I'm uh, just wondering like, 
yeah, if you're already seeing your direction start to change, it's interesting that you say you're going to stop writing possibly. I, didn't, yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I say stop writing. It's more like a temporary pause. That's a, okay. it's a life circumstance uh, element at the moment. I'll, right. I'll get okay. that um, to answer your initial question first. Um, I don't know. I think that most writers or artists fixations and areas of interest change um and i'm not sure that's explicitly linked to age although i know what you're saying about but you know the um, the number of changes that happen when you're young are particularly heightened like since i published inside the castle i moved out of home was able to legally drink started a degree finished a degree got a job um i have a partner now that i live with um whereas previously that wasn't the case um so there are all all kinds of major kind of life situations that um change but i think really the biggest thing that has notably changed particularly in the last few months is that the amount of time that i have to engage with the arts is shrinking and that's because of all kinds of things like having a job now so the amount of reading and writing and watching that i'm doing is less and that has meant that my output has been slower um, which i think is only natural um, but also that i've had to do a lot more thinking about what i'm actually interested in saying rather than uh, being responsive to other things that are going on around me which despite however those those first books come across very much as kind of how they were constructed inside the castle and circles um, and my new one with amphetamine sulfate the texas chainsaw massacre as well uh, very much responsive to other things that were going on at the time whether they were art or not um so I guess all, all I'm saying there is that the older I'm getting, the more I'm having to think about what actually differentiates the stuff that I'm writing about from other people's work. Right, right. Uh, complicated yeah. thing. Yeah, no, it is complicated. I mean, it's just interesting to me to start putting a stamp on a name and a certain mm -hmm. persona at such a young mm -hmm. age. Yeah. I guess that's what interests me like the body of work aspect of it like yeah. do you think like yeah. like like you've you've published already it's not like it's some massive amount of work you've published but it's just the fact that you've published anything before the age of 25 honestly um like let me put it like this like of your peers mm, people because yeah. right now you're also in university right uh, i've just finished but yeah you've just okay so of your peers, like how many of your peers of, of your, you know, of your age group do you see actively trying to publish work or have published work? Like just on a percentage, um, what would you say? Like somewhere between like zero and two people. Right. Okay. That's what I was thinking. That's yeah. what I was thinking. So just was interested, like what, what was your thought thinking to want to try and get published at such a young age? Like, was mm -hmm. that just, I want my work to be out there and be seen as soon as possible? Or was there just, what was your thinking on it to be at the 17 um, and submitting a manuscript? Yeah. Um, Inside the Castle was an accident. Um, I spent the year when I was 16 reading Thomas Pynchon's work and Dennis Cooper's work and James Joyce's work uh, and a lot of Nabokov and a lot of these kind of aesthetic 
um, formerly interested individuals. Um, and I started writing because I was reading a lot, which I think is a somewhat natural thing to happen. And particularly when I stumbled upon Dennis Cooper's stuff, uh, there was a particular kind of um, contortion of language that I really easily identified with. And so I started writing in response to it, not with any particular goal in mind. Um, and then eventually I just realized it was done. There was something there that was complete and finished. And I mean, the choice there then becomes hubristic, right? Like I was a 17 year old and I was like, right, I'm going to send this off to Kitty Punk and Inside the Castle and Amphetamine Sulfate to have a read. Okay. Um, Those are the choices and, there. Yeah. And it took only like a week for Amphetamine Sulfate to get back and say that they wanted it. So that was pretty speedy. But mm -hmm. definitely there's like an element of hubris there, right? Like the writing itself wasn't initially done for publication, but once it was done, publication became something that needed to be considered and mm -hmm. then I think the other flip side of that and it kind of links back to that previous thought is that I'm really interested in the boundary between how we perform as real people in our day-to-day -day lives and how we perform as artists and to me there are some places some forms that are easier to look at this in than others one of them is like the documentary form and particularly I'm thinking of TV shows like Nathan for you or review with Forrest McNeil or how to with John Wilson or the show about the show where there are these people who are living either living their own lives and affecting reality around them by making something out of it or people who are playing characters in the midst of reality and that makes reality kind of weird and porous um mm -hmm. And I think all of my work is about that. Um, it's something that people will see later this year when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out, which is very much a book about how I live my life and how I say I live my life, and then how I represent that differently to other people who are on the other side of the world just reading stuff in a thin volume. Um, and also links with the youth question. Sorry, this is a really long answer. No, this also is good. This is good. Yeah. Um, so it links with the youth question because identity when you're young is really porous. And I think that there is a way that presenting yourself in a 45 page chapbook or whatever limits your identity to a certain set of constraints. And I see that in terms of how people interact with me, uh, not so much now, but particularly like the first year after it came out, there were a lot of like Facebook friend requests from older gay men who were potentially predatory, but I just found it kind of amusing um, because that's kind of part of the joke. Not that the book is funny, but there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a joke in there about how I'm presenting myself and how I expect people to interact with me and how that differs from what I actually am, um, which if I talk too much, I'll give away all of the secrets of my books and then people won't have any reason to read me anymore. But I think that <laughs> that I'm crucially interested in under everything is how the forms that we use to present stuff screw over an actual understanding of what's being presented. I don't know. Well, when, when, did, you first, when did you first have the uh, thought that you wanted to write in general? Oh, God. I was probably yeah. about six six okay yeah probably i i i've always i've always been a reader i learned to read 
way earlier than whatever the recommended age is. I don't, you have to ask my parents if the further details on that. Um, but I, there hasn't been a period of my life since pretty much I could hold a pencil where I haven't been writing something. Um, okay. That says nothing of the desire to publish or whatever. That's a kind of different thing. Um, Was but, your, did your parents have a lot of books in the house like what, what's the uh if you don't mind me asking I am kind of curious about this just because yeah you just kind of have to reach into your childhood so I hope you don't mind me going no, there fine. But, like um are your parents still together yeah okay yeah. and so uh when you do they have jobs that are you know literary inclined or have some sort of academic backing to them or something like that um my parents are both well were both teachers when i was young um and they're both principals now so they have oh really okay. high-end educational jobs and i imagine the education kind of had some influence here um but the that also has to be quantified by the fact that i wouldn't say that either of my parents are particularly artistically inclined in terms of um whilst they might be very talented educators they often belong to that class of people who is like oh oh but it's just a movie though or it's just a book though oh, which okay. is its own kind of thinking which i think can be really beneficial for artists to think but i'm not sure that's useful for people who don't take the work seriously i don't know i that's a very it's very easy to get into wanky territory along those lines um what am i saying uh stuff barely matters and you kind of produce whatever and people are interested in it or not but i also think that we should be taking all work seriously on its own terms and they belong to a particular class of person who might be like yes reading is really beneficial but for your brain not for the work whereas i view things differently and i would always like to be putting the work first right like like what like what would be like what would be a film that when you were a kid because i because i think back just as far as like me shaping my own artistic influences honestly even to this day is partially shaped by the fact that like my dad showed me uh like the terminator movies oh, and yeah. predator when i was like six seven years old you know like like he uh -huh. was just a fan of like those like 80s 90s like action guys you know like the, the steven seagals and whatnot and and i feel like there's a certain like goofiness and like not taking things seriously that i appreciate having seen that because like I now that i'm mostly into like dramatic work and whatnot like it helps me not become so self-serious when you've seen like enough jean van you know jean claude van damme like kicks to yeah. the head you know it just like starts to get absurd so and weirdly i think i can see that in the kind of things that feral dove publish which is hilarious <laughs> just certain, yeah, yeah, just certain like, to it in an interesting way that's interesting yeah i mean so like what i was getting at with that is like what, what yeah. kind of stuff was like you what like were your parents showing you like what would be like a movie that like your dad or your mom or whatever would be like oh this is this would be a nice movie for us to watch you know uh, or like let me show you this yeah the distinctive childhood movies that i remember watching really distinctly are uh, a really traumatizing viewing of edward scissorhands when i was about four 
which I got really angry <laughs> for showing me because someone died in it. And I was like, I can't just show the, I have a really like just this really distinct memory of just crying and refusing to talk to my dad for a night because he'd showed me a movie that someone died in. And <laughs> not okay. Um, but it was really, I mean, other, other notable ones were the Sixth yeah. Sense, Alien, okay. Matrix. Okay. They were all my dad's kind of things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a little bit yeah huge like all of the classic like mask movies did you see um let me see well no obviously you didn't um did you you didn't see or did no you would have been super young you didn't see any of the matrix matrix movies in theaters no i saw the new one in theaters but the new one yeah, yeah 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 um okay so like matrix uh six cents that was some of like the early viewing that you were taking in just like from your parents or whatever. Yeah. And then one of the, and then I also have a really distinct memory of, must've been 2008 or 2009. New Zealand release dates can be a little bit different to American release dates. Right. Some of these movies I think came out in different years, but I remember I would have been about eight and Speed Racer and Where the Wild Things Are and Fantastic Festival oh. all came out in a really oh, similar stretch wow. of time. And my family went to all three of them in theaters and everyone else hated them. And all three of them, I was like, no, that was great. That was wow. excellent. What a, wait, hold on. So Speed Racer, the Wachowski's Speed Racer, which I actually just started watching recently, but I did not get, I did not finish it. Like I was really into it and I was tired and I had to work the next day and I was just like, I can't devote. I, I just, I like, I was very, we can maybe talk about that a little bit because it's just from what I've seen, it is very, um, it is very weird. And then wait, what's the other one that you mentioned? Fantastic Mr. Fox, it was an interesting movie. Yeah. And then um, what was Spike the last Jones's, one? Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Oh yeah, are. that's kind of a forgotten movie, or at least for me, like I kind of forget that that came out. That was like 2009-ish. Yeah, um, so it was in kind of a 12-month period. And I just remember my family. Yeah. I just remember my family being like, oh, what the fuck have we done? <laughs> That's a, that really does is a formative like trio of movies right there. Like if you just yeah. think about what, what they're working with. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as like coming from Hollywood, from like three distinct like auteur, you know, if you want to use that word, like directors, minds, whatever um yeah. that's a yeah. that's a cool that's a cool selection of films to have viewed i, I guess mean, it, might sound, it might sound super wanky but particularly in film i've always been interested in mm, authorship and my interest in that has got a lot more complicated over time because um the idea of one unified godlike created definitely doesn't quite hold up um in mm -hmm. hollywood but i still think that even at an early age, I was interested in like how authorship, like signs of authorship could be visible or could be made visible or whatever, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know. I just think I identified with things that were aesthetically distinct or ideologically distinct. And I still have a really unified interest in that, even if those three films wouldn't necessarily be all films that I consider great now. Right. Like what was like when you, okay. So what was the, what were the, cause I can think of mine almost immediately just because they had such an impact on me. Like what were the first kind of films that um, for you, like no parental influence, maybe not even like a friend influence you just something that you found on your own or something that you found that like really blasted you into like 
what you saw yourself being? Well, first of all, can you tell me yours? Just because I'm curious. Okay, my, 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 well, mine is like a little like, now it, the movie has taken on like a certain tone. So I don't want like- Believe me, oh. mine will be good. Okay, so mine is, is uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Uh-huh. Like when I first saw that movie, when I was like um, 17, 16 or 17, I was in high school for sure. And like, that was when I was first like kind of getting into film. And, you know, I saw the usual suspects kind of stuff. Like I saw um, Pulp Fiction and like the big kind of like movies that you see when you're trying to like learn about movies. You know, you see the Paul Thomas Anderson movies and the, you know, the typical stuff. And then I kind of got into Scorsese and I saw Taxi Driver and it just blew, blew my mind. Like that, just the shot I always think about was like the first time I... It was just like, I can't believe that this can happen in a movie is like a pretty famous shot at this point where uh, Travis is like talking to the girl. I forget her the character's name, um, trying to like ask her out again. And the camera just like doesn't pan. It just fully moves and dollies like away from him into an empty hallway. hallway and like you just you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the film um stuff like that was just like mind-blowing to me but what was yours (laughs) i'm gonna give you a couple of answers here again because i like to answer things unnecessarily comprehensively because unfortunately that's just what you've got yourself in for um when i was much younger than that like when i was around 10 or 11 i got really into like movies with twist endings or like movies that are difficult like I had a real phase of like googling yeah. things like like movies that are hard to understand and <laughs> you know, that would start with things like uh Inception and The Matrix which are not hard to understand but you know lists like to kind of go for that kind of thing and that eventually led to things like watching Lost Highway on my iPod touch in 2011 <laughs> 9pm when I was meant to be asleep or something, you know? Um, And I did not like, I I wouldn't say that at that age, they were particularly influential, any individual movie, but the kind of overall experience of finding stuff like that. um, Like I've always had an interest in things that are termed difficult. It's part of the reason that right the year before writing Inside the Castle, I went through Pynchon's bibliography and Joyce's bibliography and the out there kind of Nabokovs and stuff like that. And usually that's because I I think that difficult is the wrong word for it. And um, for me, the thing that people call difficult for whatever reason registers is super engaging. And so something like Lost Highway, which is on all of these lists of difficult to understand movies is just a different paradigm through which to understand narrative. Um, yeah. Let's give you a distinct question, uh, distinct answer to that question. Um, the first time that I really would have been like, "Oh, that's what that's what this can do." Yeah. Um, probably, probably it would have been the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I saw for the first time when I was about fourteen. Okay. Um, so unfortunately my my answer is about the horror genre will just always come back to that movie 
Well, um, like, I really want to talk to you about that yeah. because, uh, like, I, like, as I said to you, I had, I just saw it for the first time, like, two days ago. Well, Pretty what much... was your experience of that like in 2021? Okay, now okay. That's all so, I, um, it's fantastic. It has such a like directorial control, like Toby Hooper. It's so unfortunate. Like, you know, I did some digging into Wikipedia and like just kind of looked up all the details of what happened with Poltergeist and stuff. And like, it's super unfortunate that that even happened to him in his career, period. Like if, cause if that just never happened, now I've seen, like, I will also watch Texas Change on Massacre 2, which I'm oh, assuming which just you've amazing. seen. Okay, oh, well, yeah, okay. Boy. I want to talk about that. Like, I watched that and then I started watching Life Life Force. Yeah. And like just seeing those, like I didn't complete that one, but just seeing the two movies and then that, like it's just like damn, yeah, like this guy had such a distinctive flavor of a director yeah. um, that he maintained for a couple of decades, you know, and like it's just unfortunate that you only think of him with well, you know, for the mainstream, I guess, um, poltergeist. Um T- Texas Chainsaw Massacre just is something that was so above my expectations i think i was just always had it in such a low standing of like oh this is just the original slasher film like okay i know what i'm gonna be getting like some like grainy 16 millimeter you know bat like real backyard filmmaking stuff and i just kind of avoided it because i didn't want to i just didn't have the attention span for that i thought yeah but uh let me let me hear you some of your thoughts on that movie okay well like you say i just don't think it's the movie that you imagine it to be before you see it um it's it's the the degree of control and restraint which is an unusual word to use but the degree of restraint is in there is really astonishing and there are a bunch of things about it that um just like off the top of my head are just such incredible creative choices just moment to moment i mean one of them being um, when Kurt gets hit over the head with the hammer and the metal door slams shut and the whole movie just pivots in this moment of yeah. like, I don't know, visual closure, visual obstruction. Yeah. But um, I, I think it's the perfect artistic text because it kind of isn't about anything, but it obviously is. So Toby Hooper obviously put a lot of thought into it, mm-hmm. um, but there isn't any one thing that you can say that the movie is like right. something like I, this is a bad example, but it's just off the top of my head. Something like the Babadook is very much. It's like it is a movie about grieving, right? And right, it's an right. enjoyable text, but it it only has this one meaning assigned to it. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is simultaneously about things, and it is just this kind of like weird evil void. Like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of strange talismanic object as well as movie to me that significance kind of accrues to and uh, like there are a few kind of primary readings of it that make a lot of sense to me one of them being about the american nuclear family and the other being about um the delimitation between the human animal boundary and the way that we animalize other people um and in some ways the film isn't a vegetarian vegan advocacy yeah. kind of work because of that but that's a yeah, whole other yeah. kind of can of worms um <laughs> i think the thing about it right is that you can pretty much go in and you can be like this time i'm going to decide that it's a movie about feminism and then you can watch it and the movie works precisely right. with that 
And I think it's just one of these rare instances where even if everything hasn't been accounted for, the things that have been accounted for make it feel like everything has been accounted for. So you can go in and you can choose to view it through pretty much any lens and it works. And in my experience, when you do some digging about whatever it is that you, the, the thoughts that arose during, I don't know, my 11th viewing of the film, and I'll do like a little bit of Googling, almost almost across the board, there's something that Toby Hooper has said or something that one of the actors has said that accrues around that particular idea. And I, th so, I mean, that's only getting at the, the amount of ideas that are embedded in the text. The real reason that I think it's just incredible is that you watch it and you can't get away from it. Like, I don't, it's just so overpoweringly present. It's, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just this rare kind of feeling that sometimes I, I get this feeling sometimes that everything that the art could have got right just happened to go right. And I think yeah. the Chainsaw Massacre is one of those scenarios. Yeah, I yeah, I think I think a lot of that lends to just the budget and the creative freedom that affords yeah. you know, with unknown actors and you know. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it truly is nightmarish. Like when she oh, wakes yeah. when she wakes up um when she wakes up and she's at the table with the like i think is it before like she gets the blood sucked from her finger from, is that after that's she passes out because that's so horrifying yeah. which yeah. like is just the greatest like that's been used many times like the like oh like the character passes out because they're so scared and then that's just like an easy out of the scene but like yeah legitimately she passed out i was like i'm about i'm about to pass out like that is terrifying like yeah. that like it's just really horrifyingly done even yeah. to today's standards at least for me like maybe i, I get scared yeah. pretty easily and stuff but it really worked on me and then when she wake when she wakes up and she's at the table and she's just strapped in and like constantly yeah. screaming for yeah. the entire scene she's yeah. screaming and yeah. like to just keep up that level of, first of all, just like as an athletic feat to fucking scream at the top yeah. of nail wrenching scream for like, yeah. it really just, it really just uh, is claustrophobically like horrifying. Like it was like, the, it was the first time in a while I felt that watching a movie where I just like wanted it to be over. Like, yeah. And then when it's over, like you're saying, that final shot is so brilliant. And I won't spoil it for anyone that happens to listen who might not have seen it, because I just think it's such a brilliant moment in the moment. Um, yeah. But, but when, when it does end, you're so acclimated to the noise that the noise cuts out and you're like, yeah. uh, mm, mm, I need to hear something. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're I mean, so right about that. He, ha he even has control to the extent of like, you know when the credits cut in and stuff like that yeah. like the use of yeah. uh visual cues and whatnot yeah. to unsettle you yeah um and her like laugh cry yeah. as she's yeah. in the back of the pickup bed going away yeah oh, that is so good like yeah. there is that is just like you always that's something you write in a script like oh she laughed cry. you know that's just like such a hard thing for an actor to actually do but an easy thing to write yeah. uh but it's perfect it's like so perfect in that movie yeah. it's it just great comes down to that i i think it does just come down to that control and probably the particular production circumstances um and just a like a really quick note on Toby Hooper's career generally is that 
pretty yes. much I don't think he's ever made a bad movie um, but you have to adjust your expectations according to your understanding of what was going on for him behind the scenes always because yeah. pretty much after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre he was never allowed to make another movie without interference from a studio or a production team or having a budget pulled out from under him or having someone else finish the final cut of the film oh, and wow. I, th I think it's a real testament to his ability as a director that despite that pretty much unanimously across the board you can see what his interests are and you can see continuity between particular choices made and uh i mean he made a film in 1990 called spontaneous combustion that yeah yeah um pretty much ends with the same ending as the texas chainsaw massacre in terms of the sudden cut and it's a little bit less clean for various reasons just the, the genre the film is in makes it a little bit more difficult to be so simple and stripped back as the end of the texas chainsaw massacre is um but spontaneous combustion effectively ends with the same ending and once again it's just a perfectly judged rhythmic moment yeah. and um I don't know. So I think the interesting thing about watching his work over time and the way that it developed is eventually watching him um, create something like uh, the Mangler or Toolbox Murders, and he'll be working in his kind of trademark style with a really distinct sense of vision and a really distinct sense of what horror means. But then you can watch him almost fighting against particular kind of constraints. And there's always going to be some element to which we're... Um, we're making assumptions about what choices are his and what other studios. That's another interesting element of the work, I think. It's one right. of the interesting things about Poltergeist. Right, right. No, I think, yeah, those are some interesting thoughts about him. What I, hearing you talk about him, I do understand the, would you say that he's one of your main artistic influences right now? Oh, he's, yeah. And he ain't yeah. going away, unfortunately. Yeah, because I can definitely see it in even, um, well, in the work that I've read of yours, but in particular, just to pitch a bit like the mm. work that we're putting out yeah. together, um, Road, that you wrote, yeah. uh, like, I was very much thinking of the plotting of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but particularly Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, yeah. <laughs> which, um, yeah, in, okay. in, the, in the sense that things just keep happening, <laughs> like, like yeah. stuff just keeps happening but it makes sense because there is a distinctive character at the core of it. Like in, in, yeah. in uh, Chainsaw 2, you've got Dennis Hooper's character, uh, Dennis, sorry, Dennis, um, yeah. excuse me, Dennis Hopper's character. Yeah, no, yeah um, cannot get that wrong. Uh, one of the greats, but, and then, um, and then the lead character and stuff can just keep happening. Zaniness can keep happening, but you've got like pretty cool characters at the core that you're like interested in following and i think you did something similar in road when people read that they'll see the main character barney is like a distinctive figure that is yeah is traveled and pushed like at your you know prodding uh to pick up on that i think the unifying kind of treatment of those characters between say the Texas chainsaw massacre 2 and road is yeah. that um stretch in Texas chainsaw 2 and Barney and Road both yeah. are, yeah, they're both people that things happen to, but 
they don't really seem to exhibit much agency uh, or when they do exhibit agency, it's difficult to determine what would be different if someone else was acting in this situation. Right. Almost, I think they're almost like empty stock characters and there are some kind of differences there, right? Like Stretch has this great scene. Um, I can't remember exactly how it plays out, but there's this great scene in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 where um, Leatherface is wearing someone else's face and then he uses the chainsaw as like a giant penis to... Yeah. Or something. I love that um, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I just think like there's this kind of... I don't know, my treatment of Barney as a character is this person that images and ideas accrue around and then in a kind of complicated way, which is difficult to describe, I think, without reading it, those ideas and symbols are then kind of slowly deconstructed and recompartmentalized into something else. Yeah. And I think that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is similar because there are these ideas and symbols and images that accrue to the character of Stretch. And then at the end, those those ideas get reintegrated into the imagery from the first Texas Chainsaw film, like the dinner table and yeah. the in case and the final, the final shot. shot. This time yeah. the final girl is the person holding the chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, the interesting, yeah, I, I agree with that. that. What I think, um, a way that you've just put it that I think makes sense for Road, for your work is like the character doesn't necessarily have any agency and kind of things just do happen to them, but like there's enough distinctiveness about the character that if this were happening to someone else like these things even these things wouldn't be happening in this way yeah. and it's just kind of interesting like the passivity yeah. of like things happening to someone but them happening in a certain way because even though the character's being passive yeah. like they're just the way they are is influencing other people how they react and stuff like would yeah. you say that that's kind of true like yeah I, yeah, and I think yeah. it also comes from like I don't have uh I don't have a particularly defined interest in narrative. I'm way more interested in the forms and the structures and the thematics behind things. Okay. Um, and I think that probably is quite obvious <laughs> uh, in Road. Um, yeah, but I think that influences the way that that character is structured, right? Like, I think things happen to Barney because. I experience narratives like that anyway, because I tend to be more interested in, I don't know, the way that the intersection between race and class work in a particular text. And so narrative is almost extraneous to that, even if the reason that the text can explore that is because of narrative. And so the way that I perceive pretty much anything with a story is that the story is always mm, the additional layer on top of whatever it is, which is why I think a lot of these small presses have appealed to me over time. Just take the long form of you, like 10 years of your life. Like it just takes a madcap kind of way. And, you know, yeah. I enjoy the like structuralist structure or whatever that you tend to work with. And I guess that kind of leads me into like your background in, in theater, because I do notice like, I want to just get into it a little bit because I do notice like, in all the works that I've read of yours, like in Road, in Inside the Castle, um, it's like, in, it's an act structure. Yeah. Um, you know, the obvious thing would just be like, did, you know, is that something that you get from your theater background? And what exactly is your theater background if you just had to summarize what you've done in theater and what your interest is? Okay. Um, 
let's take that i'll take it that second question first and then i'll go to come back to the other one okay because i think that just makes more sense um yeah, to yeah. be able to elaborate on um similar to writing i've always been performing um i stumbled into an accidental role when i was six um in a theater production which was kind of by the by but it happened and so i was involved in that kind of medium um at that age and then uh, i trained in ballet for about seven years until i was about 14 uh and ended up leaving because i didn't like the highly regimented kind of um unexpressive nature of having kind of rote movement that was always the same in different configurations um and from there i ended up studying a form of a particular form of theater called physical theater which is maybe closer to dance theater or emerging between dance and theater um and so i guess my interest in theatrical language is in the way that um, the way that bodies can express things that text can't and the way that uh, say an empty stage can express something that the characters being there can't and that comes out of um, potentially the kind of thinking that someone like Brecht was uh putting forward uh, general kind of ideas about alienation, but it also just has a lot, a lot more to do with the fact that um, in terms of my interests as an observer, I'm super multidisciplinary. I listen, I try and keep up to date with music and literature and film, and then locally what's going on in the theater scene. And so I think that the tools that I draw on tend to be less limited by specific types of theory. Um, I would say that the theatre that I'm making at the moment, kind of over the last year and coming up, has all been akin to kind of um, structuralist thinking, which is very mathematical and highly segmented and often about games being hidden in the work. Um, oh, wow. Kind of a different question um but i i inherit the act structure from that i think because uh in inside the castle um it's all about social performance and language performance and uh sexual performance and all kinds of other things like that um in something like road that's a little bit more challenging to answer um because the question is which act is the real one yes. um which i right. think is a question best kind of left just as a question i think rather than me kind of commenting on but i have my own ideas about which act is the real one yeah yeah no that's totally fair um so you so you see the theater as the theater work as um is is this something that you're going to continue like uh long term like it's definitely something that you're engaged in um you know ongoing I, I i wasn't sure if it was something that was in the past or if you it's interesting to hear that you're right. working on stuff now that's cool okay so right like this year i have a show queued up in april one in june one in august and one in october so like i've got pretty much 2020 is it 2022 yeah i've got 2020 <laughs> queued up um so yeah in or what what is it things that you're directing um, and mixture of? i'm i'm performing in 
three of them and one of them is a show that i'm creating with others which i will eventually perform in um so previously like last year i directed two shows um and i like that but the amount of pressure um in delivering a project on a deadline and a budget and things like that is quite a lot um and this year balancing a job as well well acting is a job um but balancing a job that dictates significant hours of my week yeah, uh, acting yeah. is the more appropriate kind of deployment of time for me to yeah for me to keep engaged um but certainly like certainly i'm intending to take this year off writing mostly to have a break and particularly because there's a kind of longevity to writing right like it's something that you that you have to practice it. I really believe that. I, I mean, when I don't yeah. write for a long time, my writing gets worse. So I'm committing to letting my writing get worse before it gets better again. Um, whereas acting is something that, uh, because it, you might practice in six week kind of chunks, you can commit and then rest and commit and then rest. Mm. Um, and I just, I've needed to kind of prioritize my life in a way that um, allows me to do particular things. And I guess I'm saying in that equation, theater comes out on top of writing, although that's not quite that's not quite how I would um, word it in terms of how I value it. It's just that in, when the whole equation is considered, theatre ends up being the thing that I hang on to this year. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, I'm definitely curious. To, is any of that stuff going to be recorded? Or is that just obviously the best, you know, if you're there? That's the point of it. That's a good question. Um, the first one that we're doing in April definitely can't be recorded for legal reasons. Uh Possibly. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll be curious. Yeah, I, I, I historically haven't, um, largely mm-hmm. because the best stuff that I do, and uh, yeah, okay, here we go. This is it comes back into kind of the linking of different forms, right? Like, okay. I think that my best skill as a theatre director and theatre performer is my skill as a reader. Like, I don't think I'm a, I mean, according to audiences, I can act well and direct well, but according to me, I don't act or direct well, I read well. Um, and I think that they're effectively the same task because acting is like a task of empathetic reading um, rather than interpretive reading and directing is a task of doing the interpreting for your audience. Um, when you when you go and watch a production of, uh, I don't know, Othello, right? Like the director might have made the decision to highlight the gender element or might have made the decision to highlight the racial element or might be highlighting a Brechtian kind of view. But when you read it, that interpretive work can always be done by the reader. And so I think the director is doing the reading job for you to some extent um, when you go and watch something performed. Uh, so I think that, uh, I, so that's why I'm saying it's not recorded is that a lot of the stuff that I am that I work best with is adaptation of text. And that usually yeah. means there are reasons around recording it. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot answer, but that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's, yeah. that, no, I'd just be curious. Um, Sorry, I can. Cool. I very much do have a habit of kind of long-winded and often kind of hubristic answers to artistic <laughs> questions, but I promise it's earnest. No, I definitely, you know, I, I'm not focused on the slightest. Um, there were kind of like two more things I wanted to touch on with you. How much more? I'm just curious. How much uh, we got time. Got some time. Okay. Um, all right. Well, something I wanted to ask you about and... Um, you know, I just like we can cut or not talk about this if you don't want to. But like, I am kind of interested in just like uh, your sexuality or how you mm-hmm. identify and yeah. how that influences your work. 
yeah. um, I'm in, I'm interested in it, in it particular because it is in your work, you know, in various places. And also yeah. just um, another aspect of it from, from my own perspective, you know, I'm 30 years old now and I'm still figuring out things about myself. And so from just to go back to the perspective of writing while you're at such a young age about stuff that's pretty fucking complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think about all that? Um, I, when pushed, identify as gay or queer or somewhere in that range. Um, but I think that's a really complicated question. Um, yeah. in a lot of ways that are potentially even uninteresting to talk about and a lot of ways that are interesting to talk about I have a I have a piece that I've written recently that might be coming out maybe in an anthology that John Lindsay is editing um, about suicide yeah, yeah, um, okay. which is about the piece deals with my interactions as an, I don't know, 11 to 13 year old with various kind of predatory um, and pedophilic men online. Um, that's kind of by the by. And I like, it, it's always an unusual thing to talk about and engage with because uh, people have a kind of sense of um, either concern for me or moral alarm about it, which I think is perfectly valid, but it's by the by in terms of like, that, that that's a kind of backgrounded mm, element of my history. And I think it comes through in the work. Mm -hmm. um, that made me really conscious of sexuality at a really young age, but I wouldn't say that realizing that I was queer was ever alarming or even a discovery really for me. I, I feel like it has been something that I've understood about myself effectively as long as I can remember it in, and in quite complicated ways. I mean, throughout high school, I had a girlfriend who identified at that time as lesbian while I identified as gay. And we were in a romantic relationship that was yeah. non-physical effectively. And, yeah. and so I, I don't know, it, my answer is very much akin to a lot of the common kind of stuff where I just think I don't know it all exists on a spectrum and that's super a super flexible identifier but the bit that I think is more interesting and the stuff that I think my work is engaged with is how we talk about our own sexuality and identity right. because like identity is inherently flexible and with particular individuals sexual interest changes I think and I think that's a common experience for a lot of people is there might be particularly different um areas of exploration with different people mm -hmm. um and so I think that identity is not something that we can fix or lock down in language and that's one of the complex things that something like inside the castle and circles and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and in some places road is trying to deal with is how do I put my identity into words when once I put it into words, it's already changed into something else again. Right. Um, and I think that there are a bunch of other languages that I have used over time to try and explore that question, right? 
One of them is the English language, but other languages include the general inventory of BDSM adjacent activity, which is another language, right? The same way that dance or sign language is a language. It's another set of tools and a set of expressive or discursive kind of um, signs and symbols, which we put out and interpret again. Um, right. Which is a very um, intellectual way of talking about something like BDSM or whatever, which like primarily is just fun. Um, right. But there is a language element to it. And there is a language element where you try and lock down the relationship that you have and put the relationship that you have or the type of engagement that you have into something that is quantifiable so that you can both understand it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what language is often trying to do is put things into language that two people can understand the same thing, mm -hmm. which also makes language very dangerous, which also makes things like sexual behavior very dangerous because, well, or very rewarding um, because of the inherent flexibility. There are significant swathes of Inside the Castle, which I wrote in response to our breakup and she's read them and she was like okay this is like at the time she was like okay this is definitely the best thing that you've written while we've been together but also that's really mean and i was <laughs> like well that's good though isn't it and so you know hence like hence like the blessing for it to be published you know and she has a copy yeah. of the book and stuff at least but um there's a particular kind of um artistically invoked animosity that, that comes from yeah a particular life situation so no, <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah that's that's gone like but so you would say inside the castle though um mm. if it had to reference a relationship the one it's most immediately referencing as far as your real life is that kind of platonic she identifies lesbian you or gay relationship yeah. okay that's interesting yeah. although the complete the complexity of that right is that um the person sometimes referred to as you in the text um mm -hmm the person that the mm, textual references to someone else are about often changes as well like that person can sometimes oscillate from in my head at the time of writing it can oscillate from her to some random man I met on Grindr sometimes yeah. within the of one sentence and that I think is the complex kind of um, element of it where identity kind of gets fractured a little bit um, yeah. And I was consciously playing with that. I think, um, I don't know, I, I, I find it pretty clear that I had really recently read Ulysses when I go back and read bits of Inside the Castle. Um, but <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone else has that experience. You know, I, I know what, I, what to look for, you know, about what of what if it influenced me. Yeah. Well, I wanted to mention the appendix there, but just like real quick, I was just curious, like, um, so did, did you use like your writing to... Um, just in like a typical therapeutic way to like investigate some of this stuff with your sexuality? Yes, but most of the therapeutic stuff didn't make it into any, hasn't made it into any kind of published okay. form, I would say. Okay. So right, right. I like, so, so the stuff that's kind of going on in, inside the castle is from an era where I was keeping a notebook much more studiously than I do now. And I'd be writing in it four or five times every day and like every passing thought or line or whatever would come into it. And then mm -hmm. the stuff that's in the book is the stuff that I 
felt was more literary than personal. And I, I, that's a very arbitrary kind of distinction. Yeah, um, I agree. I, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which will be coming out later this year, is a lot more personal than literary in some ways. Um, okay. mm. But that's a complex distinction. So I, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, no, no, yes, no, I'm right to investigate feelings, I think, like anyone does, but I don't really have an urge to publish the stuff that is just feeling based without some other kind of structural consideration or formal consideration. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. And I appreciate, I definitely appreciate that answer. Like yeah. you, you still, you still find some fulfillment and uh, clearly mm. just as any writer would like of just getting something down. Like, mm. even if it's yeah. like that, that, you know, that serves uh, some sort of something for you. That's cool yeah. to hear. Yeah. Although it's yeah. not seen by anybody but you, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, although I haven't, I re, like when I say like the reason that I um, am kind of making the conscious decision not to write this year is because uh, I've been kind of trying to force myself to write the last few months and just nothing's been happening. So I think I just need to actually take the break to let yeah. myself be able to write well again or something. Yeah, we'll yeah, find yeah. out. Yeah, just I, to live a little, like just to yeah. let some life soak in. I feel like that. Okay, I'm like, it's I just, just need to live for a bit. <laughs> before i can like put anything out you know um, yeah state yeah um all right the last the last like one last thing that i just wanted to get into like um well i just wanted to mention a few i i like i think it's cool how in the back of inside the castle you have like an appendix of um mm. uh like influences here and yeah. I just want to mention a few of them real quick because these okay. can just be like quick hit, quick hitter thoughts. I'll grab my copy as well. Okay, okay. Oh yeah, I actually I did get a copy, which I'm glad I did because I'm just a person who likes to write inside stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, me too. Did this original? So the way amphetamine sulfate does it, like this had a black cover originally. Yeah, oh, like you have the black one. Okay, okay. so that's how they do like their first run stuff or something. I'm guessing yeah. that's pretty. That's cool. I, I really Although like I think they've also inverted it now. So like um, desperate, which if you haven't read. Um, oh yeah, I have. Oh my yeah, god. Have oh, amazing. It's yeah, so I, cool. I just. It's funny. Like I just got my package in the mail of um, agitation and then your book here. And then I also got Four Circles by Meg McCarville. God, yeah. And, which I haven't read yet. And then I got, um, what else? I got, um, oh. oh, yeah. Which I just kind of was interested in. Have you read this one? Yeah, I have. I think okay. it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just kind of intrigued um, me. It's Douglas Payne if you have ghosts. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Amphetamine sulfate are so interesting. Um, and yeah. I don't know, I'm biased because my first book came out with them and I have a book coming out with them this year. But yeah. I do just, but the, the stuff that they put out is so potently whatever it is. Like there's something really unifying about them that's really difficult to describe. Um, but certainly Alexandrine's yeah. two books, Desperate and Agitation, are just like, one of the greatest two of the greatest things that i think have been published yeah oh Maybe. for sure um i mean the ending yeah. of um, desperate is just a knockout yeah as I, as i said uh you know on on twitter or whatever like truly desperate was i mean that was kind of my introduction to amphetamine sulfate like desperate was my kind of introduction to it i was just like okay this is interesting 
it's a staple booklet 44 pages let me uh -huh. check out this like i you know yeah. and clearly there's an influence with how i'm publishing stuff now with okay. your book and everything and um yeah i absolutely like i'm a huge fan of what amphetamine sulfate is doing and um super cool super cool but like yeah in the back of your uh in the back of your book here that's the ones i wanted to mention were um okay so first of all you you meant you reference the part-time people which is by you in 2015 yeah is that online yeah. somewhere like what is that no, no it's not <laughs> so one of the yeah so one of the things about this appendix is that it wasn't originally in the book right and then yeah. Simon Morris, who did, I guess, editorial duties on this, for want of a better word, he okay. was like, oh, it's really difficult. I feel like it'd be nice if we could give people, you know, a little bit of a roadmap um, to help interpret some stuff. Okay. Some, oh, of that okay. Is quite, some of that is quite accessible, right? Like the first eulogy by Raina Maria Rilke, which yeah. um, the first long poem in the book um on page five is just a rewrite of i rewrote mm. real poem in relation to the kind of subject matter of inside the castle okay um, but i wanted to make sure that um i wanted to make sure that if an appendix was going to be included it wouldn't just be illuminating and by that i mean this is a bit where it gets a little bit hubristic and it's also about kind of um a self-perception of an image as an author or how we present fashion identity is that there is this short story and it's called the part-time people and i don't think i even have access to it anymore it was on my old computer and it definitely definitely influenced the text um i think i can't remember exactly what the process in writing the book was now but i think some sentences of it are pulled into inside the castle um which is why it's referenced in the appendix but it's certainly not something that anyone including me is ever going to be able to access again <laughs> so, so the appendix is kind of a joke as well yeah 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 you, you but, can you can you can get that sense when you're looking at it yeah the other I one, think, yeah or at least i could like because some of these are just yeah. i mean i'm sure they have an influence but there's also just funny like you have well, it's just, I don't know, I think it's funny. Like, you have the 120 Days of Sodom by Marquis de Sade, the book, and then, like, right after it is Solo, the Pierre Paolo Pasolini, like, just, like, a double yeah. hitter of, of that, which is yeah. really funny. And then right under that, like, the quote that I've taken from Solo. Uh, yeah, is, all things, things are good when taken to, taken to excess, well. which, um, goddamn, yeah. that's which, beautiful. I'm glad you find it funny as well, because Simon and I both found it hilarious, and it's, it's not a part of the book that I feel like I get the chance to talk about enough. So I'm very happy. <laughs> cool. I'm glad we're saying it. Well, let me say, like, I love how you have the damn tour, but uh, Kendrick Lamar's damn tour in 2018. I didn't yeah. go, I didn't see any shows. Did you, did you see a show from that tour? Um, damn, fact, man. I mean, I will, yeah. I will let you in <laughs> really on good. a, I, yeah, I will let you in on a really embarrassing um, source material of one of the poems in Inside the Castle, which okay. unfortunately might, I don't know. I'm I'm always in two minds about how much to express what the actual inception of a poem is because I I don't know. I feel like poetry is this weird thing, right? Where you might experience something or be thinking about something, and you'll articulate it a particular way. And once it's articulated, what matters is the articulation, not the inspiration. So I'll, I'll yeah. preempt with that. Um, but on page thirteen, there's this poem. Um, <laughs> it, it just reads. I'm not going to read it properly, um, but it just reads. He say, I see you, but I look past the pillars and don't see him for very much time or money. He says, you killed my vibe. Oh, right? shit. Um, yeah. And 
So what happened <laughs> at the dam tour is that because I was like, so I'm, an, I'm a very anxious person. I was like an anxious, like 16 year old. And um, Kendrick Lamar, like during this tour, like called me out for not being super engaged. And really? It was kind of a bad concert, to be honest. I didn't enjoy it. I love his music, but it was mm, not like on the low end of kind of concerts that I've been Was it in New Zealand you saw? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so I wrote that after that, and it very much, I don't know, it very much came from this place of um, kind of confronting a celebrity identity and then just not being that happy about it. How did he call you out? Like, how did that go down? Uh, it was very similar energy, actually. As Do you know that story a few years ago when Kanye West, like, got tried to get all of the audience standing up and he was calling out this one person and they were in a wheelchair? <laughs> um, no. It was, I actually oh, did. I like, Kanye, but I did not. It's hilarious. I, I actually um, thought it was basically that except i'm i wasn't in a wheelchair i was just like i was yeah i was quite unengaged so fair enough wow so So i'd be like enough so that he picked you up from the crowd because i imagine it was a massive crowd (laughs) like how like you had to be pretty just like bummed out looking for him to pick Uh, you up yeah i think i have like i have like a serious kind of resting face like (laughs) i I mean not that he probably he probably wouldn't have been able to see my face but i don't know maybe (laughs) possibly yeah 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 so so um and don't see him for very much time before he says you killed my bot that's so good I'm like, I mean, it's like hence why i'm a little bit hesitant to kind of i don't know like th- yeah there are some things in inside the castle that are kind of yeah. stupid and that throwaway um but part of that throwawayness right is that they add up to some kind of overall picture of something and so i think yeah. that yeah i don't know so Mm. I also th- yeah I also think that what that poem is doing is slightly different to what the story that I just told is doing but when you read yeah. the poem it's like it's very clear I think after having heard that story that like oh clearly that happened as a result yeah. of this. <laughs> well like I, I just see this book inside the castle that you did as like as a vibe you know <laughs> like you just yeah. you read it and you kind of like yeah yeah and so like the fact that you just throw in like a little moment like that it just contributes to the overall uh sense well that I, pre- I appreciate that i'm glad yeah i mean i would have i i would probably would not have uh, picked that up myself but i'm honestly glad that you told me uh let me see some other ones real quick that just like yeah. caught my eye. i think the only other ones that i wanted to mention were one um, well, this kind of uh, segued into just the last thing that I did want to talk about. Um, you have in here in the appendix, you have months working at McDonald's, McDonald's 2017. So that's like literally you were working at McDonald's. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about work and just like working because that's something that we've talked about in our exchanges. Like me and you both are working the kind of, uh, well, I don't know if you want to disclose it, but. Yeah, whatever. We're both, yeah, okay. So we're both working just like the typical, typical kind of, uh, you know, nine to five, um, five days a week thing right now, which gives a lot of stability to just a, a creative life, I'm finding. Um, yeah. But, you know, also there is the limitations of just your time when you are there for 40 hours or whatever it is, plus commuting and whatnot. But so what's this like, what's the, uh, so you're working at McDonald's a couple years back. Um, yeah. And I've, I've had plenty of experience with customer service. What, what's, how did that influence the work and your thoughts on the life? <laughs> um, the poem 
Okay, no, I'm going to answer this differently first. Um, I think that the relationship between labor and artistic labor is just really interesting, right? Like yeah. the the idea that, I, I, you know, I think to write a really, really great novel, you probably do have to be able to afford to have time to write a really, really great novel. And quite simply, right, that's something that I don't have right now. And it's something that in the past could exist by falling into money or having a benefactor or right. being able to work and then take three months off or something like that right there are all kinds of ways that people make it work um, yeah. or there are other people who are mm, intensely hard workers like br jaeger or mike klein um who but even mike right like his novels are twenty thousand words or so long and that's because of particular demands on production constraint i i don't want to put words into mike's mouth here because he is interested right. in that kind of yeah, restraint but i, but I, I think, think that's that not too far from what he's thinking no yeah. Yeah, and yeah, i think yeah. the way that people live their lives is inevitably going to come across in the work and mm -hmm. so i mean when you're spending the majority of your time at a fast food restaurant at mcdonald's that inevitably impinges upon the way that you live the rest of your life right um and so uh much of Inside the Castle was written on 15 or 30 minute breaks at McDonald's or edited at between 15 and 30 minute breaks at McDonald's. Um, and particularly this poem um, on page 15, which begins, um, Carlos wants to eat my shit. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I love this page, by the way, just the, yes. the way it's organized. Um, I love it. Really cool. Yeah. So I devised the structure like in my brain during like two hours at Macca's and then during my 15 <laughs> minute break, I went and I wrote down like what the syllable structure and where the line breaks would be and then I just filled in the blanks um so all of the names in that poem are people that I worked with at McDonald's um yeah Carlos Jack and Ashton uh, <laughs> and it's not yeah. literally referring to them but it also is in some ways yeah um, yeah I mean, so that's the specific poem that that moment in the appendix is referring to. Um, okay, but cool. more, more broadly, um, McDonald's is where I was at at that point in my life. And so, uh, you know, it makes sense that that would permeate the work. Um, and I think it does permeate the work. I mean, Simon initially wanted the cover of the book instead of this author photo of me yeah. to be a photo of the McDonald's Golden Arches, oh, um, which the only reason we didn't do was because of concern for copyright issues. Yeah. yeah. McDonald's, which I don't know, all press is good press. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of, that's a cool alternative cover idea. Um, mm. how, how do you feel about just like entering entering the workforce and continuing to do theater and mm. your writing work uh like just speak a little bit about the balance of like work yeah. for money labor and artistic i like that you know it's yeah. a distinction but it's just like cool way to put on yeah. it um i'm lucky in that most of the artistic work that i do pays me which is not the case for everyone it doesn't pay me much, but it, it's something so that's vaguely helpful. Um, I work roughly 35 hours a week, so not quite 40. And it's in quite a strange configuration. So it's often between nine to five, Monday to Friday, but it sometimes spills over into other days or times. Yeah. Um, I work about 25 hours a week for 
uh, an arts space, um, supporting people with what we now call intellectual disabilities um, to create their kind of work, um, which is a great job, but also involves navigating a lot of red tape and stuff like yeah. that, right? what any kind mm -hmm. of health system does. Um, and then I also work 10 hours at a bookstore. So it's not quite a traditional 40 hour week, but it's very close yeah. to what you described, right? right? Like I, yeah. these 25 hours where I'm putting energy into effectively other people's creative output, but also things like healthcare support and general life support um, and boundary support for a lot of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the way that that I think is affecting my work is that it's just marginally cutting down on the amount of time that I have. I do need to leave in approximately 30 seconds.